I am so grateful to be back out of quarantine. I was in quarantine for a short while. If you didn't know, that's why I wasn't here last week. And it wasn't that long of a time. It was two weeks. And um, I'm fine. My family's fine. It was a precautionary thing. And so I'm really excited to be back. It's hard when you're away from the fellowship. You may not even realize it until you get back together and you go, oh, come here, bro. And you just, just to see the faces and the connect visually and it's just such a blessing, and so if you're watching, hello, we're glad you're with us. Um, we're missing you here, but um, we're excited that we could be together. I'm thankful for Cody, who stepped in last week on pretty short notice since I found out um, on the Friday before Wednesday that um, I had been exposed to someone who had COVID, and so he jumped in and he filled, stepped in the gap there, so I'm grateful for that, and um, so last week... Um, uh, Cody jumped in and, and he taught on uh, Leviticus chapter 23. So open your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 24. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. And probably no one does. Everyone knows the, the drill by now. But if you need one, we have some Bibles. We can bring one over to you. But last week, um, Cody um, spoke on chapter 23. And chapter 23 marked the beginning of the annual feast that the people were to observe. The Lord had instructed his people to, to observe. To, to reserve even certain dates. He said, these are my appointed times. And so he was saying, get out your outlook calendars, get out your day timers, get out your appointment books, and mark these things down. Why? Because we have tendency to forget. Not just some things, but almost everything. Over and over in the Old Testament, you see that he says, teach them to your children, write them on the tablets of your hearts. He's always wanted us to remember the history of the people, where they had come from, where they were, what they were like, what had happened. Mark the dates or you will forget. These feasts, these annual feasts were to be national public days of worship and sacrifice. These would be day, days that were to be very clear, were to be remembered. And God makes it very clear in, in verse 1 of chapter 23. He says, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, The Lord's appointed times which you shall proclaim as holy convocations. My appointed times are these. First question, were they optional, do you think? No. These were appointed times by the Lord. And so tonight, as we continue on into chapter 24, tonight we're going to find a few more commands, a few more ways that we can worship and we can sacrifice unto the Lord. So let's begin in verse 1, chapter 24. Let me move this back so that I'm not blocked by people over there. Verse 1, chapter 24. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the sons of Israel that they bring to you clear oil from beaten olives for the light, to make a lap burn continually. Outside the veil of the testimony in the tent of meeting, Aaron shall keep it in order from evening to morning before the Lord continually. It shall be a perpetual state throughout your generations. He shall keep the lamps in order on pure gold lampstands before the Lord continually. Let's stop right there. So what's going on here? I, I want us to all be on the same page here. So right here in this section, God is speaking to the people and to the priests about what duties they are to carry out during this time. And the people, it says, are to bring forth clear olive oil to light the lamps. Today, we would call that virgin olive oil. 
This is oil that it says was beaten, and it really means to be pressed down. They would squeeze the oil out of the olives, and they would strain it many, many times to make it perfectly pure and clear. Virgin olive oil, and it would be used for fuel. Was this optional? No, it says, command the people of Israel. Command these people. And then it says that the high priest is to keep the lamp burning continuously. Now, all of this was taking place in this thing. It says there in verse 3, the place outside the veil of the testimony, the holy place. Well, how do you know that, Tom? How do you know it's the holy place? Well, we know that from Exodus chapter 26. We studied that, the last book we studied. In Exodus 26 and 27, it was written, You shall hang up the veil under the clasp and shall bring the ark of the testimony there within the veil. And the veil shall serve for you as a partition between the holy place and the holy of holies. He speaks of it again in Exodus 27, verse 21. In the tent of meeting, outside the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his son shall keep it in order from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout the generations for the sons of Israel. Now, the holy place is an interesting space. It's kind of like the... The priest man cave, if you will. But to me, it's not a very fun place. There's no PlayStation, television, popcorn, lounge chairs, none of the things that I would want in there. There was three things in there. Three things, the altar of incense, the lampstand, and the showbread, which the showbread table and the showbread on top. Now, the holy place, just for reference here, is a place that it had these three items in it. And remember, it faced east. Now, if you were to walk into the holy place, let's say this is the holy place and that's facing east, you would walk through those doors and let's say this would be the altar of incense right in the center. Now, to your left, you would find the lampstand. And to your right, you would find the showbread. There was only one way into the holy of holies, and that would be the veil that would be depicted behind me like the screen or the baptismal tank is. That kind of gives you reference for the things we're talking about. So the people's job was pretty simple. You are to make the oil and you are to bring the oil. God wants us to do our part. Now, could God have kept the lamps burning on his own? Absolutely. Look what he did with the burning bush. The burning bush was on fire and the burning bush wasn't consumed. Did God need the people to bring the oil? No. The oil was used for fuel. God is our fuel. But God allows us to do our part. He, he wants us to have skin in the game, a buy-in, if you will. God wants to partner with us, and that's exciting in the worship and the sacrifice to Him. And it says that each evening and morning, and notice how interesting they have that backwards. For us, the start of our day begins at sunrise. For them, it was different. In the Jewish culture, the day started at evening. Kind of an oxymoron there. It went from evening to evening. But from evening to morning, the high priest was to care for the lights on the lampstand to make sure it would not go out. The high priest took care of the lamp. Now, what's the lamp all about? The lamp is, the obvious reason, it served as light for the holy place. Without the light being, it was the only source of light in there. Without it, they would stumble around in the dark, maybe not do everything as effectively as they should. But it was also a great picture of Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. 
and it's served this great picture of Christ, and oil in the Scripture often represents the Holy Spirit. And so it also is a picture of the Holy Spirit flowing also into our lives where Jesus can now say, now you are the light of the world. The Sermon on the Mount, we just studied about that. It's the beauty of the light that doesn't go out. And Aaron is to keep the light always burning. Now, what other special duties did the high priest have? One, to keep the lamp burning. We know that he only could go into the Holy of Holies once a year. But I don't know if you all knew this, but he was only allowed to utter God's real name once a year. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on in the lesson. But I want you to keep all these things in the back of your mind because we have said this many times, actually since the beginning of Genesis as we were teaching there, that all things, all things point to Jesus. All of these things. And I want to show you something, how even all this stuff here fits together. Now, Aaron, the high priest, he points to Jesus. Their high priest, Aaron, made intercession for the people. Their high priest, Aaron, alone controlled service of the lampstand. Their high priest, once a year, could go into the Holy of Holies to enter into the throne of grace. Now, fast forward to the New Testament, to Hebrews 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, like we don't need to be afraid, so that you may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Right here, lets us know that Jesus today is our high priest. He intercedes on our behalf. And the best part is he understands us. He says he understands our weaknesses and he understands our temptations. It's personal. He says, I, I know what you're feeling. I know what you're going through. I know your Broncos haven't won a game all year, Bill. <laughs> Sorry. I know what you're feeling. Temptation, I I've been there. I know what that feels like. It's hard for me to imagine that Aaron the high priest and the priests there who hardly even left the tabernacle could really empathize with millions of people. There's only so many hours in a day, so much time in a day. They were so busy with their duties and sacrifices. Do you think they connected? That they understood the weaknesses and all the different things of the people? Maybe they had attitudes against the people. But Jesus connects. It's personal. It says we have confidence to draw near to God, to draw near to the Holy of Holies. Why? Because in Jesus, the veil is torn. There's no need for the veil. The veil's not there. We can enter into God's rest, and we can come anytime, not just once a year, as it says, to find grace and mercy to help us in our times of need. And what was the job again that the high priest did? What was the one thing he was mainly or in charge of? What was it? To keep the lamp burning. Back in February, on Sundays, we started studying the book of Revelation. And all throughout chapters 1 through 3, the Apostle John compared the local churches of that time to individual golden lampstands. And they were supposed to shine and bear witness to their city. 
In Revelation 1, verse 12, it says, Then I turned, this is John speaking, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And then in verse 20, it tells us that these seven lampstands are the seven churches. And he mentions that Jesus is there with them also. And Jesus is clothed with the robe, and he's got the golden sash around his chest, and his eyes are like burning flames of fire. Like, like I see like blowtorches, like... And it says like his voice is like many rushing waters, like many waters, and out of his mouth is the sword of his word. And I think often when we, we hear that, we, we see something like this. Pretty calm Jesus, a little sword coming out. But I think probably it was more like this. Flames of fire. I mean, it, it just frightened him. He, he just f- fell down to the ground with his head low. And Jesus had to tell him, don't be afraid. And what was Jesus doing? He was giving attention to the lampstands. Jesus has some really choice words for the churches, doesn't he? He says, I know your deeds. I know you're doing great here and you've been toiling hard and your perseverance is commendable and and thank you for your endurance and your suffering, I see it. And thank you for your discernment to understand people I cannot tolerate. But I hold this against you. He says, therefore, you need to remember the height from which you have fallen. Unless you repent, he's saying, I will remove your lampstand. He says, you either do this or your flame is going to go out. Jesus right here, he's exhorting the churches. He's tending to them. He's keeping the flame burning. And it all comes from right here, the book of Leviticus, this beautiful depiction of our Lord tending to the lampstands. Everything points to Jesus, and it's such a great example for us. I mean, right here we see Jesus exercising the gift of exhortation. He's building them up. Tells them the good things that he's seeing. He's giving them credit, but then he's like, but I got to move you forward. Let me push you going. Let me get you going a little bit. It's a great lesson for us, church, that we got to be careful not to be so quick to brush off someone who wants to speak into our lives, wants to give us counsel. It just may be Jesus tending to the lampstand of the church, keeping the fire burning. I, I, I believe that sometimes we can be praying for encouragement, just praying that someone would come alongside of us and just to understand, to counsel, to walk alongside of me. And then God sends the very person into your life, someone with the gift of exhortation. Understand, exhortation, half of it is encouragement, but the other half, they're afraid you're going to fall back down. So they got to try to move you forward. And we have to be so careful we don't have an attitude of, hey, don't push me, man. I don't want to get pushed. God is always there to help us to keep the fire burning, but God does expect us to do our part. Remember the height from which you have fallen. And it's so sad to say that many a church have had their light go out, both before God and the world. Why? Because of the unfaithfulness of the people, frankly. Because they failed to pray and they failed 
to give, they fail to serve and, and, and let their gifts of the Holy Spirit be used. They were silent when they should have stood. If the light is to keep burning, somebody has to provide the oil. That's you. Are you bringing the oil? Verse 5. Then you shall take fine flour and bake twelve cakes with it. Two-tenths of an ephah shall be in each cake. You shall set them in two rows, six to a row, on the pure gold table before the Lord. You shall put pure frankincense on each row, that it may be a memorial portion for the bread, even an offering by fire to the Lord. Every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord continually. It is an everlasting covenant for the sons of Israel. It shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, for it is most holy to him from the Lord's suffering, offerings by fire, his portion forever. Let's stop there. Right here, it's speaking about the showbread. And showbread is translated the bread of presence. All things point to Jesus. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus' light leads us to the Father. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one gets to the Father but through me. Through the Holy of Holies. Through the lighted room. Into the Holy of Holies. Through the holy place. I'm sorry. Lighted room. Holy of Holies. So, the people were to bring this pure olive oil for the lamp. But also they were to bring this fine flour that was going to be used to make these 12 loaves of bread. And each week... On the Sabbath day, the bread would be replaced. They'd put new 12 loaves out there. Some of it would be sacrificed along with the incense. It says it's a memorial offering. But then the priest would eat that meal. Probably in that place. It says in a holy place. The table that it sat upon was called the table of the showbread. And it was helping. The 12 loaves was reminding the priests themselves that all the tribes were in God's presence. And that God's presence was always there in the tabernacle. God was present with His people, and, there, and they were in His presence as long as they were in that tabernacle. Now, the flow of, of this chapter is going to take a shift here in verse 10. God inserts this narrative right here, right in the middle of this description of the Holy of the holy place. In verse 10, it says this. Now the son of an Israelite woman, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the sons of Israel. And the Israelite woman's son and the man of Israel struggled with each other in the camp. The son of the Israelite woman blasphemed the name and cursed. So they brought him to Moses. Now his mother's name was Shilometh, the daughter of Debri, of the tribe of Dan. They put him in custody so that the command of the Lord might be made clear to them. Now, let's stop right there and talk about this. So you have this woman who has a son, and he's half Jewish and he's half Egyptian. And apparently they, they get into an altercation. There, there's a fight. Maybe blows were thrown. 
And somehow in this process, this man who's half Egyptian and half Jewish, it says he blasphemes and he curses the Lord. It doesn't tell us why. Maybe he got punched and he was so mad he just said it. Or maybe he didn't even want to be there in the first place. He's half Egyptian. Like, why am I even here? And he's raising his fist to God. This is what blaspheme means. We have to understand that this, is, this narrative is more of an illustration more than interpretation. Because the basis for obedience to any law is fear of the Lord. And people who blaspheme the holy name of God, they have no fear of God in their hearts. And blaspheming involves cursing or reviling God or acting in a way that mocks Him or demeans Him or scorns Him, denounces Him. They are literally shaking their fist at God. We don't know why. But every Jew in that camp, and probably every person, it was a mixed multitude, they they all knew the third commandment, didn't they? You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Exodus 20. This is, and I love what it does. After he does this, they don't immediately act. They take a time to put, lock the guy up, keep him safe while they consult and get divine revelation as to what they are to do with this man. And this is one of four such cases where Moses had to await for further divine revelation before this situation would ever be handled properly. In verse 13 we read, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the one who was cursed outside the camp, and let all who heard him lay their hand on his head. Then let the congregation stone him. You shall speak to the sons of Israel, saying, If anyone curses his God, then he will bear his sin. Moreover, the one who blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him. The alien as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. Now, this passage right here is, is one that the Pharisees would go to or went to when they tried to stone Jesus. They went to this verse. They believed that Jesus was blaspheming whenever he would say things about his relationship to the Father. In John 10, verse 31, it says the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from my Father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you but for blasphemy. And because you being a man, make yourself out to be a God. He's, they're saying, you're just merely a man. And now you're making yourself out to be equal with God? They believe that was blasphemy, which should be punished by stoning to death. Now the Jews understand they had some wild, extreme ideas on how they would avoid blaspheming the name of God. They wouldn't even write down the name of God. The idea was, if you can't say the name and you don't write the name, then you'll never be in danger of blaspheming his name. That was their mindset. In fact, the, the high priest 
was the only one who could ever say God's true name, and that was only once a year when he went into the Holy of Holies. And he never told anyone the correct pronunciation of God's real name. It was a secret that he kept, like, almost to his deathbed. It's as if, like, on your, your last breath, you would get the next one in line, your son, who was going to be the next high priest, and you would utter the true name of God. It would be pronounced. That's one of the reasons why today we have so much confusion about how to pronounce God's true name. Some say it's Yahweh. Some say it's Yahweh. It's Yehovah. The truth is, we really don't know. And people who say, oh, I totally got that. I, I, I definitely know. I'd say, look, it's probably pride. Because the Jews didn't even know. Only the high priest knew. They wouldn't even write the name of God down on paper because they thought, if that paper somehow gets destroyed, we've blasphemed the name of God. So fearful were the Jews of breaking the third commandment that they substituted the name Adonai for Jehovah. And so this has gone on, and they didn't write it, they didn't say it, and it's been just forever. Instead of saying his name, they would simply call it the name. Did you see that many times there in like verse 11? Look in verse 11. Is it one? There was many examples. The son of the Israelite woman blasphemed the name. They, they just called it the name. The name we don't say. They were so fearful. I mean, can you see the fear? Do you see it? We, we don't operate under fear today. We are given the name of Jesus to call upon today. We call upon His name. You, you, you hear that when people pray, in Jesus' name, amen. In the name of Jesus. But we have to understand, in the name, it means by His authority. We, we don't need to be legalistic by every time we pray, say, in His name, thinking it means this. But it, all you're saying is, it's Jesus' name. We are praying using the authority of Jesus Jesus' name when we pray, we're saying, by the authority that is granted to me, the name of your Son, Lord, I ask, dot, dot, dot. It's the stamp of authority in Jesus' name. It's like the kings, they had the signet ring, and they would make their order, and they'd put their stamp in there, in Jesus' name. Now let's finish this out with verse 17 and on. If a man takes the life of any human being, he shall surely be put to death. The one who takes the life of an animal shall make it good, life for life. If a man injures his neighbor, just as he has done, so it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Just as he has injured a man, so it shall be inflicted on him. Now, let's talk about this. This Understand this, church, this wasn't an absolute law that had to be carried out every time there was an offense done to you or someone in your family or someone you knew. In other words, like if you bust out my tooth, smile because you're getting one too. You didn't have to do that. That, that, that. What this is really doing right here is limiting the amount of retaliation that someone could inflict on you because God knows what we're like. God knows His people that we will escalate conflict 
instead of, I'm getting even, but ten times more. You, you can even see this with children sometimes when they're growing up. If you hit me, I'm going to hit you ten times harder. It's, it's, yeah, there's a little laughter because I've been there. The law of retaliation, the law of retribution. God knows that people will go overboard. There was a movie that probably none of you would remember back in the 80s, before I was a Christian even. And there was this scene where these two guys, they, they go into the army and they go to boot camp and on the very first day, everybody's introducing themselves. And there's this guy there named Francis. And Francis is hilarious in the movie. And he says, he introduces himself and he says, my name is Francis Sawyer, but, but everybody calls me Psycho. And if any of you guys call me Francis, I'll kill you. <laughs> and it's just, it's not that. He goes on to say, I don't want people touching my stuff. If anyone touches my stuff for me, I'll kill you. You see, this is the mindset that God was afraid of. That someone touches something of yours, someone hurts your dog, and I'm going to burn your house down. That is not. This law was to keep us from going overboard. It doesn't mean that you have to knock their tooth out if they knock out yours. Forgiveness was the best thing. Or maybe some other form of restitution might even serve you better. But if you couldn't work it out, there was just no way the crime had to fit the punishment. They had to be on equal terms. Verse 21. Thus the one who kills an animal shall make it good. But the one who kills a man shall be put to death. There shall be one standard for you. It shall be for the stranger as well as the native, for I am the Lord your God. Then Moses spoke to the sons of Israel, and they brought the one who had cursed outside the camp and stoned him with stones. Thus the sons of Israel did, just as the Lord commanded Moses. It, it's a sobering story. But again, it's a story that helps us to understand the importance of God's name. How we, we, we have a role to play in the worship and the sacrifice to our Lord God. And the words that we say are very, very important. They're used to build up, James tells us, and the, our words, our tongue are used to tear down. But Jesus, we know, is light. We know Jesus is the bread of life. And we know that Jesus is always the way. And this great example of the holy place kind of fits it all together and helps us to know that everything points to Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Our God in heaven, thank you, Father, for, Father, just the simple things. Father, the, some of the things that we already know and then other things that we connect as we're, Father, in prayer and in study. Father, I pray again that you help us find the words this week when we're interacting with other people in our lives, that we would point them to you, Lord, that we'd be careful in how we judge. Father, that we'd be more known for what we believe, not for what we don't believe. Father, that we would consider others better than ourselves. Father, that whether that's wearing a mask or staying away, that should be our heart. 
that we're considering others better than ourselves. Father, even in the simple things of judgment, attitude can come out. Father, help us not to be that. Help us to be a light. Help us to be the bread. Help us to be the light that guides Jesus because he is the way. Daddy, thank you for this time. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus we pray, amen.